0: We're in the middle of a series and we're talking about spiritual disciplines in our quest to be able to discover together God's will going forward. Spiritual disciplines are a sacred path to deeper intimacy with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and to understanding His will not only for our personal lives but for our life here together. So we have talked about the necessity of taking time to be with God and to spending time quietly in his presence. We've talked about engaging the scripture, not simply for information, but that it might be used to transform our heart and our life and allow the spirit to come and nurture our soul. The past two Sundays we've been talking about prayer, listening for God's voice on the one hand, and also just simply... Learning to live together and be in his presence. This morning we're going to talk about the discipline of self-examination and confession. I will acknowledge up front, it is probably not one of my most favorite subjects, but it is very, very important. And so, to get us into that subject, a few verses from the psalmist in the 19th Psalm, and verses 12 through 14, you're welcome to join me in your Bibles or otherwise... The words are also on the screen. And this is what the psalmist writes. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. A few years ago, I took my van to get some gasoline for the church's lawnmower. Unfortunately, when I got to the gas station, I realized that the cap on one of the cans didn't fit very well. And as Murphy's Law promises, that was the only can that tipped over on my way back. Gasoline everywhere. Thankfully, gasoline doesn't produce a visible stain, at least after it dries. But you know it's there. Because it stinks. It stinks for a very, very very long time and so I did the admirable thing I confessed my mistake to my wife and we tried everything store-bought cleaners that are guaranteed to eliminate the odor (laughs) they didn't we tried coffee grounds baking soda deodorizers everyone we talked to with a home remedy to cover up smell we tried nothing worked except for selling the van (laughs) the truth is we all spill many of our spills smell some for a very very long time some of our smells leave permanent stains but the truth is most of us are pretty good at hiding the smells and covering up the stains (laughs) experts We do it well until we don't do it well, and then we're left with a stinking mess. These stains are best known by another word, by a biblical word, by a three-letter word, and that word is sin. The Bible says we have all sinned. And our instinct is to try to cover up that sin, that stink, that smell, that stain, so nobody else notices. But we're seldom successful. Actually, we're never successful because God always notices. Neil Planninger writes, our awareness of sin used to be our shadow. Christians hated it, feared it, fled from it, and grieved over it. A man who lost his temper might wonder if he should even go to Holy Communion. Our new language fudges. i just like to share that we need to target holiness as a growth area. Where sin is concerned, people just mumble now. We mumble our rationalization. You see this this focus on sin we say it's ridiculous. I'm a Christian. God has already forgiven my sins past and present and even the future. So what's the big deal? Aren't we just wasting our time even talking about it? But scripture repeatedly reminds us that our tendency to sin is something that has to be addressed even if they have already been forgiven. The psalmist writes here in this psalm we just read, Who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant from willful sins that they may not rule over me. You see, the psalmist is here describing for us this discipline of self-examination. Discerning our own errors. Hmm. He's talking about the discipline of Confession. Forgive my hidden faults. And he's talking about spiritual transformation. Keep your servant from willful sins. So, just for clarification, before we dig in deeply, we're not talking about what I will call first level, frontline confession. That is, about our heartfelt admission of sin and confession that is, Father, I'm a sinner. Father, I am sorry for my sin. Father, I recognize I cannot save myself. I need Jesus. That kind of self-examination and confession that leads to what the scripture calls conversion. That's first level in my estimation, self-examination and confession. And it leads to becoming a follower of Jesus. It leads to our becoming saved. It leads to what the scripture calls eternal life. But after that first level, front line confession, in my estimation, there is a second level, fine line self-examination and confession. Don't forget that in our text this morning, it is the psalmist, it is David who is writing it, and he is already a member of God's family. He's already done, if you will, the first level, frontline confession and self-examination. David is here talking about, and we will be talking about, an ongoing self-evaluation of our life, of our thoughts, of our words, of our deeds, and we'll be doing that in the light of God's word, in the light of God's will, and in the light of God's commands. This is the discipline of self-examination and confession that leads to becoming more and more like Jesus. It leads to our sanctification, to becoming the person that God has called us and made us to be. This is the focus of our conversation and our self-examination and the discipline of confession this morning. So a few years ago, I had some excruciating pain in my lower abdomen, And Marilyn took me to the hospital. After an examination and a CAT scan, a diagnosis was made. I had a kidney stone. The remedy, they said, was simple. Just go home, just wait, just deal with the pain, and hopefully it will pass. (laughs) Easy for them to say, but it did. A few months later, more abdominal pain. I went to the doctor. This time he examined me. He ordered an upper GI. When the results came back, the diagnosis was made. I had duodenitis, the remedy this time, medication. And after a few days, the uncomfortableness disappeared. A few months later, I had better years. A few months later, while on vacation camping, more excruciating abdominal pain, back to the hospital. After an examination and another scan, another diagnosis was made, appendicitis. This time the remedy, surgery, I had it removed. Pain, physical and even emotional pain send us running to the experts for help. We willingly submit to an examination. We willingly follow the prescription. We long to be pain-free. We know the benefits of these examinations and the common wisdom of early detection is crucial and life-saving. And we're also aware that the treatment is almost always inconvenient and often somewhat painful, but we know it sustains and brings life, so we do it. Spiritual examinations are not all that much different. They are no less inconvenient and often no less painful but they too are designed to promote life in this case life with a capital L real life sin spiritual pain to our soul should compel us to engage in regular examinations as believers we should long for that kind of spiritual health and vitality to survive We've learned to hide our inadequacies well, but since we're dealing with the sinful nature, Murphy's Law will remind us that at some point, it will rear its ugly head. Some years ago, Couscous, who was a Barbary lion, attacked and killed Diana Henson, an intern at a California wildlife sanctuary. Couscous was just doing what barbary lions do. Eventually one's nature comes to the surface. Sinners sin. It is what sinners do. It's part of their job description. The problem we have in front of us this morning is not that sinners are sinning. The problem is that it is saints who are still sinning those who call themselves saints, those who acknowledge that they are followers of Jesus, for them in their life, in our life, and in your life, those things have to go. Saints are to look increasingly like Jesus. So if we're serious about Jesus, we'll be willing to do anything and everything that is necessary so that you and I can be more and more like him. The psalmist writes in Psalm 139, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my, my anxious thoughts. See if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. If we pray that prayer seriously, that is a bold, audacious prayer. And more importantly, it is a prayer that God will always answer. Because if you ask God to reveal your sins to you, he will. M. Scott Peck writes, Examination of the world without is never as personally painful as examination of the world within. And yet when one is dedicated to the truth, that is to being more and more like Jesus, the pain seems relatively unimportant. Spiritual examination is the discipline of bringing our whole self before God. That is to bring every part of our being, of our life, our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength. Things that are visible and things that are invisible. Things from the past and things from the present. The healthy and the diseased and even the dying. To put it under his magnifying glass, under his spotlight, every single part. So bringing my whole self before God involves examination that is naming our sin. It involves confession, that is owning our sin. It involves repentance, that is grieving our sin. It involves seeking forgiveness, that is reconciling with the offended. It means restoration, redeeming the offense. It means transformation, avoiding further offense. If community is the land, And silence and solitude are the foundation. And scripture is the framework. And prayer is the walls and the roof. Regular examination is the insulation. It is designed to keep sin out. It is designed to keep holiness in our heart. Growing up, many of us were taught the acronym JOY. Jesus, others, yourself. We were told that this is the believer's priority list in that order, and it suggests a great order of importance. But Elizabeth O'Connor comes along in her book, Journey Inward, Journey Outward, and suggests a little bit different priority list. She puts her priority list in what comes first and then second and third in order. She says we need to deal with ourselves first. Like when you're on a plane and they might be losing oxygen, They remind you to put your own mask on first before you help somebody else. And O'Connor suggests that we cannot grow in intimacy with God unless we are first and foremost aware of who we are and who we are not and of the barriers we have built up between us and God. John Calvin seems to concur. He says, The knowledge of ourselves not only arouses us to seek God, but also, as it were, leads us by the hand to find him. That is, a thorough self-examination is essential for us to discover and to know ourselves. And the truth is we are often unaware of those kinds of things that can result in major disasters. Don't worry about it, it's nothing, said U.S. Navy Kermit Tyler. He said that on December 7, 1941, as his radar picked up a large formation, of airplanes that were headed toward Hawaii. And sometimes our first impressions on the surface are wrong. Like the one who said, you're going nowhere, son. You simply ought to go back to driving a truck. That was the manager of the Grand Ole Opry in 1954. And after one performance, he fired Elvis Presley. We need to be reminded of a few basic truths before we engage in this second level, fine line self-examination, or the process is either going to be superficial for us, we'll just sort of glance off the surface, or it's going to be an invitation to despair and discouragement. So note with me these five basic truths. The first one is, and we need to know this, God loves you. Regardless of how you feel, you must know that God loves you and he loves you unconditionally. Self-examination, you see, is not an invitation to self-condemnation. God loves you just as you are and he loves you enough that he doesn't want to leave you that way. The second truth that you and I need to know is that we are broken people. We have all been damaged by our sin. We have all been separated from the God who created us. We are directed by our own self-centered desires. We are chained to our unmet needs. We are compelled by our illusions of who we are and what makes us acceptable and significant. We need fixing. Third truth is, we can't fix ourselves. And we can't fix anybody else either. We long to be in control of our own lives. We keep trying and we keep insisting that we can handle it, we can do it, but we have not experienced success. We need to understand that it is God and God alone who can fix us from the mess we've got ourselves in. The fourth truth we need to know is that self-examination and confession is essentially a communal discipline. It's not simply about saying in unison during a worship service that we're sinful and we're sorry for something. Doing that without first Personal ownership and without deep sorrow is insufficient to bring any healing or any wholeness. True examination is both a private and a corporate exercise. The Puritans often kept private diaries recording their intensely personal introspective self-examinations before God. And when they died, those diaries were compiled and thrown into the fire. No one read them. But the Puritans also have joined every major branch of the Christian church in stressing the importance and significance of genuine, common confession together. And finally, the fifth truth that you and I need to know is that God's grace is sufficient. Sufficient to forgive all of our sins. Sufficient to make us whole again. And John reminds us that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us all of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So if we become aware of our failures and confess our sins, he'll erase it. He'll put his arms around us and he'll remind us how much he loves us. So what do we do? Like David, we ask God to come and shine his spotlight on the sin in our life. We ask the Holy Spirit to come and to point out the work that you and I need to do. Charles Steinmetz, who was known as the genius at GE in the early 1900s, was called out of retirement on one occasion when a machine broke down and the engineers couldn't figure out what the problem was so they called him in and when he arrived he slowly walked around the machine and then he took a piece of chalk out out of his pocket and he put an x on one part and he left the engineers disassembled that part and discovered that sure enough that was the source of the breakdown and then They received from Steinmetz a bill in the mail. The bill, early 1900s, was for $10,000. They sent it back requesting an itemized list. He sent it back itemized, making one cross mark, $1. Knowing where to put it, $9,999. And they paid the bill. You see, we need to just ask the Holy Spirit He, if you will, is the Steinmetz of our heart, of our soul. He knows exactly where to put the mark. The early church fathers and mothers talked extensively about the true self and the false self. Or what the Heidelberg Catechism refers to as the old man and the new man. The false self, they said, was egocentric. The false self focused on pleasure and power and prestige and position and popularity and productivity and possessions All the things the world considers to be significant and important. All things that weigh us down. All things that foster our anxiety about the future. Nothing like Jesus. The true self, they said, is that person that God has made us, gifted us, and called us to be. The part of us that reflects Jesus. The part of us that we practice when we practice the presence of God. It is the process of sanctification. It is the process of discipleship. It is the process of becoming more and more like Jesus, the intentional, deliberately moving from the false self to the true self that life is all about. So, in the spirit of self examination, let's examine ourselves. Surprise quiz right in the middle of a sermon. Who would have thunk? Never saw that coming, but here it is. So here are some of the symptoms of the false self. Just answer quietly. True or false? Yes or no? First, I say yes sometimes when I really want to say no. True or false? I get depressed or discouraged when people are upset with me. True or false? I need to have others' approval in order to feel good about myself. True or false? I act nice and sweet on the outside, even with people I can't stand and who are taking advantage of me. True or false? I often remain silent just to keep the peace, true or false. I believe that if I make mistakes, I'm a failure, true or false. I sometimes criticize others in order that I might feel better about myself, true or false? I tried to avoid looking weak or foolish if I don't have the answer. True or false? I have to be doing something exceptional in order to feel significant. True or false? I have to be needed to feel confident. True or false? I tend to be fearful and I really don't like challenges. True or false? I often do what others want so they won't get mad at me. True or false? I use knowledge and competence to cover my feelings of inadequacy. True or false? I want my children to behave well so others will think that I'm a good parent. True or false? I often compare myself to other people. True or false? How'd you do? Any truths? I had some. We have work to do, right? True or false? Well, that is more of a contemporary list of questions. There are and have been numerous methods of self examination that the church has used over the centuries. Historically, the Eastern Orthodox Christian used the Beatitudes in their self examination. Roman Catholics have typically gone through the, through the Lord's Prayer. Protestants, particularly Western Protestants, have often used the Ten Commandments to point out sin. Some use the fruit of the Spirit. For us as Reformed Christians, the Heidelberg Catechism uses the summary of the law. Since medieval times, the seven deadly sins are often used. Do you know them? Sloth, lust, anger, pride, envy, gluttony, greed... They can be a helpful tool. Many with addictions have used the 12-step program. The truth is the 12-step program seems to take a far more rigorous self-examination process than even the 21st century church. Their fourth step to make a fearless and searching moral inventory of ourselves is a call to inner self-examination. The exam invites them To deal with their personality traits, with their pride and their lust and their impatience, with their procrastination, their irresponsibility, and their judgmentalism. But also to their attitudes, selfishness, resentment, fear, jealousy, self-pity, greed, envy, and hatred, and also to their behaviors, lying, cheating, stealing, adultery, drinking, gambling, and gossip, and many more. Another practice that dates back to the very early church is known as the prayer of examine. It's also sometimes known as an awareness examine. An examine refers to that weight indicator on the scale. It means to accurately and adequately weigh and assess a situation or an issue. The first form, because it comes in two forms, the first form of this prayer of awareness is known as the examine of conscience. The examine of conscience. And that basically is what David is doing in Psalm 139. He's asking God to search us. He's asking God to expose our sins and our weaknesses and our shortcomings and our failures. He's asking God to raise in our consciousness those things that need to be identified and then forgiven and then fixed. Our forefathers practiced this prayer in five steps. They started with gratitude for God's grace. Then they requested God's insight, his spotlights and his wisdom. Then there was a time of rigorous self-examination followed by appropriate sorrow and confession before God and then a resolving to do better and asking God for his help and for his strength. It's a great practice to prepare for weekly worship. It's a great practice to prepare to come to the Lord's table. But it's also a great practice before we retire every night. The second form of this prayer of awareness is known as the examine of consciousness. The examine of consciousness. This prayer invites us to ask God to be more aware in our life that we might be more conscious of his daily presence in genesis 28:16 jacob laments surely the lord was in this place and i knew it not an examination of consciousness often selects a limited period of time so it might be a morning it might be a day it might even be a week and it prayerfully reviews during that time where we were able to see God in his presence and where God probably was and we missed him so for example at dinner this this afternoon the father could ask his family what was God saying to you what was God saying to us during our time of worship this morning That would be an examine of consciousness. Or at the end of the day, a person could ask, what was God saying to me in that disagreement, in that fight that I had with my spouse? Or where did I see God today at work? Or where did I miss God today at work? Or for the student, where did I see God today at school? Or where was God and I missed him entirely? This prayer of examine is always personal It's always about my being more aware of God's presence and discovering what God's Word is for me. So self-examination is the beginning. But after self-examination comes confession. And our confession provides the opportunity for forgiveness, for cleansing, for reconciliation, for healing, for renewal, and for being able to forgive one another first, Remember that our self-examination and our confession is always designed to lead us to God. To lead us to him, to ask for his forgiveness, to receive his absolution, to receive his strength so we can do a little bit better. Second, our self-examination should lead us to confide in someone else. This is the corporate aspect, if you will. Maybe to a pastor, or to a spiritual director, or to a spouse, or to a small group, or to another mature believer. James says in his epistle, we need to confess our sins to one another and pray for one another that we might be healed. Personal self-examination and confession is founded on the practice of mutual confession. Third, our self-examination must lead us to confess to the one that we have sinned against. So imagine this morning after church, Your brand new car is parked in the parking lot. And as you walk out, you see me in my car. And my car hits your car. And then you notice that I stop. And I bow my head for a moment. And then I drive over to where you are. I roll down my window and I say, hey, Bob, I hit your car. But I confessed and God has forgiven me. See you around. Are we good? Yeah, I don't think so. You see, when you wrong somebody, you need not only to confess to God, but you need to confess to the person that you have wronged, if it is within your power. We need to confess to the people we have offended and the people we have sinned against. And then fourth, our examination must lead us to confess in community. When we sin against the community, we need to confess in the community. And sadly, communal confession is often experienced as more abusive than freeing, as more punishment than discipline, as more harmful than healing. And fifth, no confession is complete without a deep commitment to change. You see, God calls us, you and me, followers of Jesus, his church, to be a community that openly recognizes and confesses its frail humanity to one another, a community where we freely admit we are not yet the person God wants us to be, a community that has experienced the forgiving grace of Jesus Christ and is now passionate about extending that same grace to one another. This week, in your silence and solitude, step away for a a prayerful time of fearless self examination and confession so that together we can take some small steps forward in living together into our true self. Find a trusted companion or two to hold you accountable. Be humble, be courageous. Be obedient, but just do it. And then do it again, and do it again, and again. Make it a practice, a spiritual practice, because God is not through with us yet. And don't forget, God's grace is sufficient to cover all our sin. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the name of Jesus and for your promise that in the name of Jesus, if we confess that name with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength, we will find forgiveness. We will find healing. We will find wholeness. Father, we long to be more and more like Jesus. And we pray this in his name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen.